This morning, as I mentioned in the last two Sundays, I'm going to begin a series of teachings on our principal worship service, the Eucharist. And this morning I am going to talk about three Greek words, liturgy, Eucharist, and amnesis, and then talk very briefly about how each of these is illustrated in the lessons just read. The basic teaching that I'm going over this morning is on this green sheet, and there are multiple copies at the rear of the church. So you don't have to take notes. <laughs> Liturgy, an ancient Greek word that was used to describe what a group of people can do for the common good of the community, for the welfare of the community. Example. If you owned property and across it there was a right-of-way and that road was intersected by a stream, if you and a couple of your friends got together to build a bridge so that everybody who needed to pass over that stream would be benefited, that would be called liturgy. And the early Christians believed what they did when they gathered together was beneficial to themselves, but even more importantly, they felt, benefited the larger community. They did it together to benefit the world. So what do we do when we get together? Even before you come into this building, you've got this steeple that points to heaven. Just reminding people that there is a God. There is a light. There is a way. Benefits I believe the whole community. In the Episcopal Church, a priest cannot do the Eucharist alone. There has to be at least one layperson. We do this work together, even if I am elected to stand at the altar and use certain words. They are the bishop's words and your words and by saying amen, you claim them as your words. I agree, me also. So I'm making this point that we can't be a Christian or do this kind of loving and beautiful work alone. I would just simply point to the psalm we just did together. Scott's leadership the choirs, 
leadership, expertise, and our willingness to be part of that. I don't know about you, but my spirit was lifted to a different place. That's what we're able to do together in God's service. How is that incorporated in today's lessons? That second lesson from the epistle to John, where it says, if you say you love God and hate your sister or brother, you're a liar. That sentence in that same epistle that says, and don't we all need to hear this in these wonderful but sometimes frightening times? Perfect love casts out fear and enables us to go forward to do risky and very important things. Liturgy, work we do together for the common good. The second Greek word is Eucharist. Eucharist. It means thanksgiving. We, at least of those of us with gray hair, we're used to calling this service the Lord's Supper. And that's right and good because that's where it started or part of it started. But it kind of focuses on past history. Another word we used was Holy Communion. And that's a great phrase, very powerful to me, but it focuses us, or can, on what we do together, or our communion with God. And as I've already said, it's about much more than that. What characterized the worship of the early Christians was a sense of joy and wonder and thanksgiving. They prayed standing like this. Nobody was allowed to kneel until the 8th century. It was about joy and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving for his resurrection to new life. Thanksgiving for as much as the disciples were often stumbling fools, God loved them. Not only that, God gave them God's spirit and commissioned them to do the work Jesus wasn't able to finish. What a privilege, what a joy, celebration. Now, it wasn't until St. Augustine in the 5th century that we started emphasizing original sin rather than the original blessing, which is God's good and wonderful creation. And that focus became even more intense in the 12th, 13th through 16th century with the Black Plague and the other great losses in Europe. People blamed themselves and the focus became sin and repentance. 
Now, those are very important things to learn about. We're all sinners. And the humility that comes from admitting that is very important. But if I beat myself up every week about how bad I am, I could get consumed with guilt and stuck. So where do you find the energy to give thanks, to go out and try to heal a broken world? And with our new liturgies, we're trying to reclaim that old sense of joy and thanksgiving. Listen carefully to the Eucharistic prayer. Reread that first collect this morning. The focus is on God's creation, God's love of us wherever we are, God's abundance, thanksgiving. We certainly have a lot to be thankful for. And I give great thanks that we are here together, praying, loving, and learning. The third word is amnesis. Could I see the hand of anybody who used that word in the sentence in the last two weeks? <laughs> no? Amnesis, a word we're not used to seeing in its Greek form, but see all the time in our liturgies in its current translation, which is remember, remind, memorial. Every Jewish and Christian service is amenetic. It starts out with a story about God, with a story about God's people in some ancient time. That's remembering, but it's not amnesis. Amnesis is when you say, oh, wait a minute. If that was God then, don't we worship the same God? Maybe we ought to think about what was said then. Those people and what they did in those ancient stories, very different from us. Wait a minute. But in many ways, very familiar to us. I have a, a friend who's an MIT engineering graduate and I asked him if he thought people had changed over the last 10,000 years, and he said, well, firmware hasn't. <laughs> that part of a computer that's built in, that hasn't changed. Same God, same people. What do we need to learn from their experience? And so again and again in these services, look for them as you hear them over the next several weeks. It happened then. What was that about? God still asks us 
to do the same things today. How, how can we do that with each other? So, as the illustration, look around this morning. You know, it looks like a pretty homogeneous group to me. We're mostly all the same. Some older, some younger. And I bet if you go around this country, you'll find different tribes and different churches. But most of the churches are pretty homogeneous. Is that God's plan? So if you listen carefully to the story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, you heard a very different model. This Ethiopian came to Jerusalem because he was a seeker of God. He came with a large concert and he got to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. Do you think they welcomed him? He was a foreigner, not Israel born, and he had a crushed part of his body. The closest he could get to the Holy of Holies was at the farthest edge of the farthest portico in the temple. Feels like rejection to me. So the early church starts and they ordain Philip to uh, tend table and bring the extra food to the poor. And Philip is cleaning the table one day and all of a sudden the Spirit of God lifts him up, plops him down in the desert near this black Ethiopian eunuch. But not close enough that he can just say, hey you. He has to run after him. They talk about Jesus. The eunuch says, can I be part of this? Absolutely, says Philip, and immediately baptizes him and welcomes in him into the fellowship. That's what God caused to happen then. Might we be called to do something similar with somebody who's not exactly like us? Liturgy, Eucharist, amnesis. The final part I want to do this morning is about the basic shape of our service. When the church started, folks went to the temple in Jerusalem or their local synagogue to hear God's word, to be instructed, to respond in hymns and prayers. Then they walked to the home of a parishioner a member of their community, to have a love feast, an agape meal. And at the end of that feast, bread was broken and a cup was shared to remind them of God's, of Jesus' presence with them. Look at the shape of our service. We start, gather together, read God's word, 
ask and talk about what it means, we respond with hymns and prayers. We share the joy of that in the peace. And then we sort of have an intermission. As we walk to the love feast, the Eucharist. In many churches, the candles will be here for the liturgy of the word, the first part. These candles put out, then those candles lit. The altar would be bare until the second half and the vessels brought on. That's the basic shape of our service. So over the next few weeks, we'll look at other elements of the service. Let me conclude with a story that I learned from the search committee. Many of the candidates were asked, what is the most important part of this service for them? And they would answer about this and that and something else, as I would on different days. And then one of the candidates, at least one, said, oh, uh, can we go back to that? You know, the thing that's most important, most meaningful to me, is when the people come forward for communion. And I get to see those tiny little stubby children's fingers and those thin, long, dainty fingers of the older woman and the polished hands of some and the calloused hands of others. And those hands knurled by arthritis and they're all reaching up. We all need a connection with God we all need to know what is right. We all need a connection with each other and to be nurtured to do our work and God's work. That's us doing liturgy, giving thanks, reminding each other who we are and what we're about. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.